Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The Next Delicious Thing. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Earle and I've been working in the food industry for more than 16 years. I'm a London local and I love to try foods at every opportunity. This is a podcast where I share the foods that I think you should be trying to bring more joy to your life. Because what is life without joy? And what is easier way to get joy than eating delicious things? Okay, maybe hugging a friend or family member, but sometimes it's easier to get the food. So this week, I want to tell you about chocolate cake. In one day, I ate more than 13 different chocolate cakes. Okay, I didn't quite eat them all. I tried them all and I had a good go at eating them all. I also want to tell you about a vegan restaurant that I had dinner at, a super flaky, scrumptious morning bun and a lemon bar. I promised that these episodes would be five to ten minutes. However, I got really excited about food geekery this week and have gone on a long tangent about American chocolate cake. So I hope this is interesting to you. You can let me know, uh, send me an email or message me on social media. If you are not super interested, then listen to the first bit and you'll hear my chocolate cake recommendations. And then you can skip to about minute 14 and you'll get my other recommendations for this week. You'll also find them on thenextdeliciousthing.com. I think food history is fascinating, so I hope you do too. Please do let me know what you think. And now on with the show. So the reason I tried lots of chocolate cake was in the name of research for a client. The focus was American chocolate cake, which led to the question, how is American chocolate cake different to British chocolate cake? Dear listener, I thought I would do some research and help to figure out exactly what the differences are and why. I'm going to share some of the history of cake and the differences between chocolate cake in the two countries and give some background to exactly what red velvet cake, devil's food cake and a classic American chocolate cake should be. I'm not going to tell you all of the 13 cakes that I tried because, well, that's what people pay me for. But I will tell you that I prefer British chocolate cake, uh, but that one of the best American style chocolate cake was unsurprisingly from Harrods. Typical American chocolate cake and typical British chocolate cake differ in ingredients, method, texture and taste. So quite a lot. The texture or crumb of an American chocolate cake is typically much lighter, airier and bouncier compared to a softer, slightly firmer British chocolate cake, a bit more dense, which is more likely to break off into crumbs. The fat, the liquid and the type of cocoa used is different in both. The typical American chocolate cake is made with oil and the wet ingredients, so the oil, eggs and the buttermilk or milk and added vinegar, they are stirred into the dry ingredients, which is typically cocoa, flour, sugar, and baking powder. Then it's baked. The typical British chocolate cake is based on our classic sponge method where butter is beaten with the sugar until pale and light and fluffy. Then the eggs are whisked in. Whisked is a really hard word to say. Um, and finally, the milk, then the flour and the cocoa which are alternately and gently folded in a little at a time. That term folding in will now always make me think of David and Moira trying to cook dinner in that episode of Shit's Creek. If you haven't seen it, it's a very good one. So to recap, it is butter versus oil, milk versus buttermilk or milk plus vinegar, 
and then a resulting much more liquid batter for the cake in the US versus Britain. That more liquid batter is kind of what we here in the UK would expect from a sweet muffin recipe. And then the cocoa. Did you know that readily available cocoa in the US is different to what we have here in the UK? It's all down to a process which is known as dutching. This is where before the cocoa powder is extracted from the cocoa bean, the beans go through an alkalizing process. It's known as dutching rather than alkalizing because the process was invented by Conrad van Houten, a Dutchman. It was invented in 1828 when he was trying to work out how to separate the cocoa butter from the cocoa mass, the ground cocoa beans, so that cocoa drinks didn't have globules of fat in it, as it cooled. I know that sounds kind of gross. If you imagine gravy when it cools and it gets that layer of fat on the top, that was what was happening in cocoa drinks because no one had figured out how to extract the cocoa fat, the cocoa butter, from a cocoa bean. And a cocoa bean is about 50 to 54% fat. So when you grind the beans to mix them with water or milk to make a drink, you have a separation of fat eventually as it cools, depending on how well it has been whisked to begin with, but also just naturally starts to separate. The first chocolate bar wasn't actually invented until 1847. So in 1828, this was very desirable to be able to remove the fat so a drink could be just made from the cocoa powder, which is what is left after most of the cocoa butter is removed. It's possible you'll recognize Van Houten as an American brand of cocoa. I don't believe it has anything to do with the original Conrad Van Houten, but his name has lingered. These days, most cocoa in the US is pre-treated still to give it a neutral pH, so around 6.8 or higher, if you are interested in the geekery, rather than cocoa's natural acidic pH, which is around 5.2. This alkalization process does several things, apart from altering the pH, which that in itself is quite important for recipes, and I will come back to that later. It makes the cocoa more soluble in water, generally considered a good thing for bakers. It makes it darker in colour, also often appealing for bakers and manufacturers, as darker brown makes people think that the food is more chocolatey. And then on the flip side, it also reduces the phytochemicals, which is what gives cocoa its antioxidatory benefits, its health benefits, essentially. It also reduces the caffeine content by about two thirds, and it also removes a lot of the interesting and enjoyable flavours from the cocoa. It's the colour and the flavour of the cocoa that really make the difference in taste between American and British chocolate cakes. The pH makes a difference to the ingredients needed to make the cake rise, which is why cakes made with American cocoa, typically dutched, will have buttermilk or vinegar to provide the acid that's missing from the cocoa powder needed to make the baking soda react and produce the leavening effect so the cakes will rise. British people will often find a standard American chocolate cake not chocolatey enough. Sometimes this is compensated for by a rich chocolate frosting and eaten together, the overall flavour is delicious. This was the case in the best of the American style cakes that I managed to find in London. As I mentioned, the one from Harrods was, not surprisingly, the best. The open crumb bouncy texture of the cake was very mild in flavour. The fudgy ganache coating, which was on the top, the sides and in between the layers, was rich and delicious and made the overall eating of the whole cake very, very enjoyable. If you're looking to try an American-style chocolate cake in London, most of the cupcake shops have a recipe that is much more like an American chocolate cake than a British chocolate cake. The oil rather than the butter extends the shelf life and makes it feel much fresher when you're using small cakes rather than large ones. 
In searching for chocolate cakes in London that Americans loved, I asked the Americans that I know. So thank you, Scott, Jean, David and Hannah. One of them directed me to a company called Remy's, which turned out to be much more traditionally British, but it was nonetheless delicious. Here's the caveat to say that for Americans, a devil's food cake is much more like a British traditional chocolate cake. It's made with butter rather than oil, and the cake itself is much more chocolatey in flavour than the typical chocolate cake. Some recipes for devil's food cake, just as some recipes for British chocolate cake, have actual chocolate in the batter and not just cocoa. Hannah Geller shared an interesting fact that the devil's food cake was supposedly a reaction to the angel food cake, which is a fatless white sponge. It's called an angel cake in part because of the pale colour, part for its airiness, and also because it was fatless. The butter-rich, intensely indulgent chocolate cake of the devil's food cake was its perfect counterpart. While I'm on this geekery cocoa chocolate journey, I wanted to share a few other facts that I found interesting about cocoa and other American chocolate cakes. Regarding cocoa, there are levels to the dutching or alkalizing. You might have heard of or seen black cocoa. That is cocoa that is heavily dutched and it has very little flavor and 90% fewer phytochemicals than standard cocoa. That's the cocoa that's used to make Oreos. It removes so much flavor that the quality of the original cocoa beans is pretty irrelevant which makes it perfect for big corporations, but not so delicious for the rest of us. Regarding cakes, as well as the classic American chocolate cake and the devil's food cake, Americans have two other chocolate cake staples, the German chocolate cake and a red velvet cake. I know the last one is controversially considered a chocolate cake. I will explain. But first, the German chocolate cake. I'd heard of this from American books that I'd read, and I imagined it as a Black Forest Gatto, but it has nothing to do with Germany at all. It's connected to an English immigrant living in the US called Samuel German. He was an employee of Walter Baker and Company in the 19th century. And at that point, they made Baker's chocolate, which was a solid bar of ground cocoa with no sugar. In 1852, Samuel German formulated a baking chocolate with sugar, which is what Americans would know today as a semi-sweet chocolate. It was called German sweet chocolate. So he got his name on the bar and eventually it became known as German chocolate. And there were many, many recipes that specified this type of chocolate. I guess similar to the way a recipe today might specify that you should use 70% chocolate. It was just to differentiate it from the typical unsweetened chocolate that was in most recipes prior to this. A German American chocolate cake today is known for having a frosting that includes coconut and pecans on top of and between at least three, sometimes more layers of the cake, which is a traditional oil and buttermilk chocolate cake recipe. The first appearance of this combination with the coconut and pecans came in 1956. Rather than the typical buttercream frosting, which is used on most cakes today, this was a custard base that was made with egg yolks and evaporated milk. And finally, the red velvet cake. A velvet cake was given the name because it referred to the smooth and fine crumb that you got from making a cake with the oil and buttermilk combination. So these have been around for centuries. Red velvet came when the cool science reaction of adding cocoa to the batter where the vinegar reacted with the cocoa and brought out the anthocyanin which is the natural red tones to natural cocoa that hasn't been alkalized. When it interacts with the acid, it becomes even more red. 
a little bit like how blueberries turn pink when they come into contact with lemon juice. If you haven't seen that, go and make a margarita or something. Uh, I just love how cool science is. Obviously, these days you'll never find a red velvet cake in a shop that doesn't have added food colouring because the actual tint, even if you're using natural cocoa rather than dutched cocoa, is only very subtly red. I also learned that traditionally a red velvet cake has an ermine frosting, not a cream cheese one, which is a shame because frankly, that's the best part. I'm not normally somebody who enjoys the frosting on cakes, but in a red velvet cake for me, that is the most delicious part. I personally find red velvet cakes disappointing because they're neither chocolatey enough nor comfortingly vanilla. Also, I don't really want to eat that much food coloring, but I do like a cream cheese frosting. The ermine frosting is made from cooked flour and milk, a version of a roux, which is then whipped into glossy peaks with sugar and butter. Basically, the flour made the frosting go further with less sugar. So it was done for cost reasons and I guess potentially helpful from a health perspective, but it also made it lovely and white and fluffy. I don't think I've tried an ermine frosting knowingly, but apparently it's a little like the fluffy filling of those American classics, Twinkies and Ding Dongs. I really like American candy names. Okay, I think that's enough about cakes for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the geekery. Please let me know if you would like me to do more deep dives on facts behind foods. There are three more things to draw to your attention that are delicious. As I mentioned, the flaky and soft and perfect swirl of a morning bun. That was from Elder Press in Stamford Brook in West London. Incidentally, they do also make very good chocolate cakes as well. And a three-layered, sharp and soft, curdy delight of a lemon bar from Bake Street in Hackney. I loved this. If you're a fan of lemon in sweet things, please, please go and seek this out. And finally, the vegan dinner. It was at Alta, which is also slightly obscurely located. It is on the first floor of a hotel in Allgate, about a 15-minute walk from Liverpool Street Station. It is beautifully sunlit with full-length windows. Everything there was an explosion of flavour. So much joy and wonder in every dish. I really love eating food that I know I can't make easily at home and this was that. My one warning is that the menu is pitched as a sharing menu but it wasn't actually that easy to share so the bites were in portions of two which I guess is easy if there's an even number. The larger dishes had a lot of liquid which inevitably means when you transfer the dishes to your individual bowls they all kind of meld together. I am still very glad that we shared because I love to taste everything and it gave so much variety and excitement to the meal. If you go, you will have a delicious meal. If you just choose and eat only your own dishes, go enjoy however you like it. Quick FYI, this is not a menu with alternative meats, so carnivores tagging along might be disappointed, but there were no vegans in my group and we all loved it. Okay, now I am really hungry. (laughs) This week, I'm going to be going to IFE, the UK's biggest food trade exhibition, and I've also booked an overnight stay in North Norfolk. If you have any recommendations for Norfolk, please let me know. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit thenextdeliciousthing.com to get all the links to the businesses I mentioned and receive future lists via email. I paid for everything that I've talked about this week, but even when I do get sent things to try, I will only ever share them with you if they are genuinely delicious. Until next Wednesday, happy, happy eating. Happy eating.